You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. The Bank of England surprised the market and market participants and probably everyone in the United Kingdom and beyond by cutting interest rates from 75 basis points down to 25 basis points. In other words, from three quarters of a percent to a quarter of a percent, a half a percent cut. And this was early this morning. With me now is Philip Saunders, who's the co-head of multi-asset growth at Investic Asset Management, becoming 91 in London. You must have been having a nice cup of coffee this morning and a slice of toast and marmite and thought to yourself, it's going to be just another volume volatile day led by the United States, Philip, but suddenly Mark Carney intervened. Yes, I mean, I, I think that, um, um, I mean, is it such a surprise? I mean, literally, there is a sort of race race to zero going on at the moment, as far as official rates are concerned. Um, and um, the moves are quite aggressive in order to try and try and get, a, get ahead of the curve. Um, um, because, you know, if you do too little, if you're too tentative in these kind of circumstances, market tends to sort of shrug its shoulders, its collective shoulders and sort of carry on selling. What was the initial market reaction? Because there's normally two or three phases after a perceived surprise like this. In other words, the market says, goodness me, we've got to sell sterling and buy gilts and that sort of thing. But then people start thinking, well, maybe it's not as simple as that. What happened? Well, I think that, um, you know, the, the market participants are frankly a bit punch drunk. Um, and um, prices are sort of well as as are market makers, so prices get marked around a bit. Um, but the you know again, part of this is uh, not about sort of encouraging lending per se. Uh, it's it's about trying to make your currency less attractive than the next guy. So uh, um, you know, sterling weakness against the euro, for example, um, you know is is you know clearly part of this particular agenda. Did sterling weaken? Yes, sterling's weakened a bit against the euro. And the UK is in a reasonably sort of okay situation in the general scheme of things. And I suspect that we're going to see um, uh, some pretty um, sort of punchy action on the fiscal front uh, from the Chancellor in his budget speech, which has been given at the moment. Um, and so loose monetary policy, looser fiscal policy, um, and, you know, generally speaking, I think governments, you know, around the West um, are going to be doing sort of much the same thing. So, you know, as monetary policy becomes less efficacious, you have to rely more on fiscal stimulus. Um, and um, debt levels are high, but, um, you know, hey, <laughs> um um, anything goes these days, you know, in this sort of rather crazy world, sort of QE world that we, that we live in at the moment. Uh, so what the Bank of England is doing, you know, what the UK government is doing, you know, isn't being really done in isolation. You know, it's basically sort of part of a pattern uh, that we're seeing. Um, and, you know, li- literally there's a recognition that uh, just cutting interest rates is probably not enough. Um, and um, and that means that um, you've got to do other things and, you know, worry about the sort of consequences later. Do you think there's any chance that Mark Carney of the Bank of England had a chat with the Chancellor, who's now delivering that UK budget speech as we speak? Do you think he said uh, he had a sort of inside knowledge of what the budget was going to yield? And he said, well, if you're going to do that, I've got to do this. Is there any chance that there was some kind of collaboration here? I mean, I think that um, there is a pretty high chance that there is collaboration. 
And, and indeed, that's another trend that we're seeing. Uh, and that is that, uh, you know, we've been through quite a long period where central banks were in inflation fighting mode. Um, you know, central banks were increasingly sort of made to be independent. Uh, and you saw a consequent lack of coordination between fiscal and monetary policy. Uh, I think we're moving in the other direction. I think we're sort of moving into a world whereby basically governments reassert control over monetary policy. Um, so they got their hands on both the, both the monetary lever and also the fiscal lever. Uh, and that's the consequence of obviously weak, a weak growth environment, um, high levels of, uh, of debt um, and the need to sort of increasingly resort to monetization. So I think we're seeing a regime shift here. Um, and um, so this is part, again, of a general pattern rather than something happening purely in the UK. Yes. Do you think that's a good thing, that there is a, a melding together of fiscal and monetary policy, or do you think that there should be monetary policy, fiscal policy, and ne'er the twain shall meet? Um, I think coordination is good, um, but coordination to sort of um, um, try and stave off the consequences of um, poor past policy decisions um, is, is, is not necessarily great. Um, so if this continues, then, you know, obviously, you know, sky's the limit in terms of government borrowing um, and, um, and we sort of move into a very different regime. So I think we're, I think we're witnessing that. I think that, that, that we would have witnessed that at any rate come the next recession, um, you know, without the uh, impact of the, um, uh, of uh, the virus. Uh, I think that what's happening is that the impact of the virus um, and the risk of uh, uh, of, um, of of a sustained recession, i.e., basically a financial conditions of tightening in a you know in a in a world that basically whereby there's far too much debt around, you know, is uh, is a consequence that um, that. That, that obviously monetary monetary authorities and governments uh, uh, you know do want to, don't want to allow and in order to not allow it then you know they've got to basically sort of uh, um, use all the all the tools they have left in the toolbox mm. um, and and sort of chuck chuck the kitchen sink if you like at um, uh, at, that, at the problem. It can be viewed in two ways, in my opinion. You can say to yourself, well, it's definitely a preemptive strike, and it's actually very forward-thinking of Mark Carney and his team to have done this, and uh, well done, and it'll certainly provide some confidence for small business owners, big business owners, and for people with variable rate mortgages and all sorts of people that are exposed to interest rates in the United Kingdom. So that's a good thing. On the other hand, uh, cynics might sit down and say, wait a second, he must know, they must know something that we don't, and that the coronavirus-led figures for next month, for example, are going to be absolutely appalling, and that's why they're cutting now. Yes, I mean, I think that certainly as far as the UK is concerned, um, you know, the numbers are going to get worse uh, before they get better. Um, but I think we can draw some comfort from, you know, basically how things have unfolded in, uh, in China. Um, you know, where basically, um, you know, whatever you might say about the accuracy of official statistics and so forth, you know, it's quite clear that basically the sort of fairly draconian steps that uh, the Chinese took in order to, you know, reduce the sort of scope and spread of uh, the disease. Um, now, basically, you know, you, you are seeing the sort of, you know, number of cases definitively trending down. I mean, obviously, um, ex-China, we're behind the curve. We don't basically, it's more difficult to actually be as draconian as the Chinese have been. 
Um, but by and large, I think we can now begin to discern a sort of pattern. And even on the ill-fated cruise ship, uh, which was basically quarantined, um, if you look at the numbers there, they're quite interesting. You know, 19% of uh, crew and passengers ended up um, getting the, um, uh, you know, catching the disease. And, uh, you know, the mortality rate was 0.8%. Um, and, you know, 80, just over 80% didn't actually get it. Uh, and that was basically in a sort of confined environment. So I think that, um, you know, there's, a, you know, the media has clearly sort of whipped this all up. Um, and, um, and, you know, that then has secondary effects in terms of people possibly overreacting to it. Um, but, um, but, but, but I think that, uh, you know, again, um, I think that you know there there is a pretty reasonable chance that we'll see the pattern that we've seen unfolding in say China and indeed in South Korea um unfolding elsewhere as you know you know and the impact uh is significantly less than than is feared I mean the real concern is that um you know you've you've seen three shocks well two shocks and one, a third potential shock and that is obviously the impact of the virus on confidence and uh, markets. You've then seen the oil shock, um, yes. which is sort of, um, you know, obviously on top of that. So you sort of, it layers, it adds an additional layer of uncertainty and complexity with all sorts of ramifications in credit markets, uh, which have sort of finally reacted, having been somewhat slow to react. Uh, and then obviously there's the risk that all of that actually compounds itself in the form of, you know, the damage to the wealth effects um, and market conditions tending to actually trigger sort of tightening and de-risking, uh, which uh, which becomes sort of self-fueling. Um, uh, but the real, you know, and I think that, you know, central banks basically are responding relatively robustly. And then the argument, there's an argument to be had about, you know, uh, whether this is all about trying to affect sort of confidence um, um, you know, because, you know, the ability of rate cuts at this point uh, to really impact things are relatively limited. I mean, OK, fine, it reduces costs on a sort of short term ongoing basis. And that's sort of helpful. Um, but um, but if there is a general loss of confidence in central banks and governments and so forth, then 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 then, then obviously that's, uh, you know, has the potential to lead to a more negative outcome. I mean, we're sort of a little bit more constructive than that. Yes, I was going to ask that. Actually, after the last two and a half minutes of you speaking, my head is swimming and you must sit down every morning and say, well, we've got this, this, this shock, this shock, this central banks, and it goes on and on, which you so eloquently described. But in your head now, without having probably sat down in any great length or depth with your team at the multi-asset growth team at Investor Asset Management, you must be thinking to yourself, well, does this change the way we look at the markets or have looked at the markets for a while now? Or is it still steady as she goes? Yeah, I mean, I think that in these circumstances, we tend not to sort of react to events. We're we're more focused on underlying fundamentals, um, and um, because otherwise, you tend to get sort of uh, um, sort of pushed around by you know very noisy market conditions, um, and um, and so you've got to ask yourself: Has something fundamentally changed here? Um, and um, you know it certainly reminded us that there's very little liquidity around when it when it matters um and hence the extraordinary price action that we've seen um and you know but you know i think that markets you know ultimately um you know are relatively resilient 
Um, but the thing that most concerns us actually is is this potential for regime shift um, and you know for um, you know basically the sort of you know next phase of QE sort of coming on stream uh, and we have to sort of understand the implications of that. Now, at the moment, obviously, people aren't really sort of focused on that. But on a medium to longer term basis, it might mean that basically, you know, we're going to basically see more aggressive attempts to actually sort of keep economies going. Um, and it means that the sort of pricing of fixed, of fixed income assets is going to be sort of on the floor for on a sustained basis. Um, and uh, it may well mean that um, we sort of move back into, you know, we, we, we see... Um, um, we move into a, an inflation regime, uh, which, of course, basically has all sorts of uh, implications for asset prices and, you know, relationships between different asset classes. So I think that's the thing to really sort of look through the sort of smoke of the battle at the moment. Um, and, you know, that's something we're going to be focusing a lot of attention on because that, that, that you know, markets are volatile. You see these sell-offs and so forth, and there may or may not be a, uh, an enduring recession as a result of this. So we've got to be sort of think about the sort of cyclical impact. Um, but but longer term, it's structural things that matter a lot more. Uh, and so therefore, it's important to actually sort of look at how the various authorities are behaving and see whether that actually gives us clues as to as to the sort of kind of policy environment we're likely to confront uh, over the next decade or so. Philip beautifully described and so much to digest. That's Philip Saunders, who's the co-head of multi-asset growth at Investec Asset Management, becoming 91, speaking to me from London. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.